Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God of truth, just as you inspired the mothers and fathers of our faith, grant us your knowledge and discernment so that we can learn how to be clever in our compassion and courageous in our faith through Christ and in the Spirit. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Hear these words. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, um, it's in the world of things I never learned in seminary. Um, would be co-preaching. So Pastor Josh had an idea that we would preach on Mother's Day in a co-preaching fashion. We will all decide afterwards whether it's a good idea. <laughs> but the idea here is um, recognizing uh, that uh, we are created in God's image. We read Genesis, we get this uh, clear impression that God has created us with a purpose, uh, for a purpose. Um, and that we resemble God in some way. And so in learning more about the nature of God, we learn also about ourselves. And so on this Mother's Day, we thought, huh, might this be an interesting time to talk about how we were created and to talk about um, how that might, uh, the view that we have on God's nature, um, if it's narrow, does it then make us feel as if God is only useful in one place and time? or if we have an expanded view, scripturally based, about uh, God's image and how we are created in that image, does it then also widen kind of our understanding of God and how God is able to uh, help and rule and to um, lead us into holy habits that might change our lives? So, um, I wonder. <laughs> this is supposed to be like a conversation, but yet also uh, one in which we've already produced uh, a few slides. A prepared conversation, really. Right, yeah, a prepared right? conversation. Which we've all done. We can admit, you got a budget talk, that's a prepared conversation, right? You gotta ask dad for permission. That's, thank you so much. <laughs> that was spontaneous. That was not <laughs> expected. I, I kind of thought it looked like a coffee shop. This will work. <laughs> um, so, so Josh, you know, uh, since you came on staff, I, I really love the idea of talking about how we imagine God to be, right? Um, the uh, Israelites are really serious about not painting a picture of God, right. that, that that was something that they did not do. But I, I love just asking people, so, so how do you imagine or, or visualize God? Um, and, and sometimes I think the most interesting thing is to think back to the very earliest way that we imagined uh, what God looked like and what God did. So I wonder, um, would you share with us a little bit about what that image might be for you? Yeah, I don't know what it was like for y'all, but I remember very distinctly, uh, you know, kind of thinking about God at a, at a young age. I was that kid who 
got underneath the credenza. We had an elevated one, and I could read my Bible under there, like in the third grade. My mom probably thought, yep, that's definitely a future pastor. Uh, but I remember thinking about God, and uh, for me, God was this sort of old man in the sky. Uh, he was sort of unapproachable, holy. God was interested in creation sort of out of obligation, because, you know, if you create something, then you might as well care for it. Uh, but I remember God sort of being uh, really over there, holy, you can't, you can't approach him, he's, he's the old dude in the sky, right? That was sort of my, my earliest images of God. And I'm wondering if you had similar ones or different or... I think close. I think we probably were uh, in the same space and place. Um, I thought about God as kind of very powerful, very um, uh, creator of all, um, very much in charge of everything. Um, I've got the, kind of these two dueling images that come to mind for me. One is that a kind of a, a knight in shining armor, right? It's kind of hard to hug the knight, right? Because there's this kind of impervious kind of armor, you know, that, that God was who God is and God is not changeable um, and he's in charge. And then also, uh, I, I don't know if it was the church I was raised in or what, but this very real idea that God was good and that he was watching out to see if I was bad. You know, kind of um, the, the uh, heavenly accountant keeping track of all the things I might do wrong. And so there's a sense that God was, uh, was holy and, uh, and I wasn't. And uh, God was looking for an excuse to send me someplace warm, which would not be Florida, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, so... So yeah, so those images are interesting. I, what I realize out of both of ours, it's a pretty strong kind of male thing. Is it fair just to say God's a dude and move on? Yeah, right. Um, I, you know, I, the, definitely for me at one point in time, that's kind of how I thought. It was very rigid. That's how it was. But I'm wondering if, uh, if it goes beyond our impressions, right? Like I'm wondering where in a scripture that there might be words about God, how to view God. I wonder if uh, Jesus ever talked about, you know, God and um, what that might have to lend to the conversation. Oh, yeah. I think it's fair to say that most of us know that Jesus referred to his father as Abba. Um, you know, that, that's, um, that's a particular word um, in the Aramaic. Um, it, it is clearly daddy, right? Not father dearest, um, not you know, um, not anything other than a term of endearment of daddy, which I think is a powerful thing to think that the savior of the world um, thought of his father, the creator of all, in terms of daddy. Now, there are other kind of metaphors that are true uh, in scripture. Um, I, I think when we look at uh, Jesus uh, um, uh, looking over Jerusalem, uh, it was a time in which um, Jesus was lamenting over the state of uh, the synagogue, the temple, and Jerusalem. Uh, and he says, um, oh, Jerusalem, um, if I could only um, stretch out my arms and bring you close to myself like a mother hen does her chicks. Mm. And of course, the message there is that Jerusalem was not uh, drawing close um, uh, to Jesus and not drawing close to God. Um, I think that's an interesting piece. The, the metaphors uh, where uh, Jesus and then also the prophets talk about God, um, not really bound up in the way that we've talked about God in terms of this strong, unchangeable, um, you know, um, I'm going to get you um, kind of a, uh, a God. 
Um, there's also, the, the book of Proverbs I think is interesting as a counterpoint. Um, Proverbs talks about wisdom um, and at times personifies wisdom um, as a lady, um, as um, this kind of, um, w- when we live the good life, when we follow God's law, when we draw close to what is holy about God, that we learn wisdom about life. Uh, now, um, lastly, you know, it's interesting to think about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Grammatically, in Greek, the Holy Spirit's uh, female. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit's a female, but that uh, we don't have gendered grammatical in, um, in English, but in some languages like Spanish, there is. There, there's kind of this um, L or la, if you're a, a Spanish speaker, uh, denotes grammatical gender. Not saying that uh, it would be um, a, a female book or a... a female table. A yeah. Ma- yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the Holy Spirit in Greek does kind of have this piece of, um, of feminine imagery with it. Um, I wonder, um, our scripture today, you picked it for a purpose. Yeah. Is there some uh, wisdom that we might learn about us and God in it? Yeah, this, the, the, the passage today came from Genesis 1. And for me, when I got into seminary and then started studying um, the ancient language, it's good to remember that Genesis was not written in English. Right? It was written in Hebrew. And uh, it's a whole different language. And as I began to look at Genesis 1, for me, it really dismantled this caricature of God that I had built out of cultural assumptions or out of what maybe I had been taught or heard. But as I read more about this God that creates and the role um, that happens, some interesting things came up. So I think we should hop into it. Um, I prepared some slides for our conversation for you all to take a look at with us. Uh, some interesting things, I think. The first one, this was from Genesis 1:26. It says, Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us. And this is the word that began to give me a lot of fits, <laughs> right, when you go sure. to translate it. Yep. You're like, what do you want me to translate this as? So uh, this is how it reads in Hebrew. It says, let us make Adam in our image to resemble us. Now that should sound familiar to some of y'all, right? Let us make Adam mm-hmm. in our image to resemble us. But it's not a, a personal name. It's not, it's not a pronoun here in this verse, right? It talks about humanity, because uh, it's talking about the plural, sort of this, this larger than a singular entity, larger than a singular person. And then in the verse right after that, it says, God created Adam, it's that same word, in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. So you hear the plurality here, this Adam, this humanity, and then it differentiates male and female, and the words there are different. We'll talk about that in a second. How God created them. It's important to note that like male and female are created in God's image, and they're both under this auspice. They're both under sort of this umbrella of humanity. And then this here says, The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil. This is uh, the same word, Adam. And some older translations will translate it and say, the Lord God formed Adam from the topsoil. And you can see already the shift in language, taking this idea of humanity and then making it into a singular person. Uh, Later, Adam is definitely a character in Genesis and is a pronoun in the same way Eve is. But Adam means humanity and Eve means mother of all living. And so these pronouns, these words that used to describe these become complicated. And what's important, I think, is pulling it out how Adam is created in God's own image. 
couple other things stem up in Genesis 2. This is a rather long uh, passage here, but those word human, human, human. So it would read, to the Adam to see what he would name them. The Adam gave each living being its name. The Adam named all the livestock, right? So God is bringing forth things to Adam, bringing forth things to humanity to see what humanity will name them. And then there's this uh, word that's been used before in a lot of different ways, and it's difficult to translate. Uh, but a helper, perfect for him, talking about a masculine him, we'll get to that word in a second, was nowhere to be found. So this word helper, like what does that mean? Because this is sort of the adjective to describe the female human that's going to come up. Well, and helper sounds like an assistant, like a less than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, go get the coffee or something. And sometimes they would call it like help mate. Um, so... I'll tackle that right now. It's good. It's good. No, it's good. Uh, so where does this word helper come up? Like in the context of the rest of the scriptures. It comes up a couple times. The first, the word in Hebrew is azer, E-Z-E-R. And you all might know that hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune thy heart to sing thy grace. The second verse is, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Right? That's a hymn that we've sung for generations in the church. And Ebenezer is Hebrew for stone of help. And that's where the word is, just Ezer, it means help. So there's some particular points. One is Eleazar is Moses' son-in-law, or brother-in-law, brother-in-law. And uh, he helped liberate the people from Pharaoh. You already heard the word right there, right? He helped liberate the people from Pharaoh, so he gets called helper. Uh, and then, secondly, the other most common place you see helper all the time in Scripture is attributed to God. And so in Deuteronomy it says that God is called the helpmate of his people. And in the psalmist says, well, where should my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the helper of all the earth. And so people often say like this helpmate is like, you know, should be second, should be, she, she's not important. She's like, okay, if you want to say that about Eve, then you need to say that about God. Uh, because God is called the helper. Um, and this is the last one here. It says, the human said, again, Adam, this one finally is bone of my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman, Isha, is Hebrew there, because from a man, Ish, she was taken. And so in Hebrew, all they do is slap on a feminine ending, and all of a sudden that denotes woman and man. So the difference is strictly grammatical, not actually in how they were made. Right? We heard earlier from Genesis 1, humanity, all of it was made in God's image, male and female, God created them. So for me, that blew my mind, Ooh. right? Ooh. And now I'm sort of, you know, thinking about the nerdy word study that I love, right? Getting into Hebrew or Greek and saying, like, well, what, is, what does Scripture say about it? And then these sort of metaphors that Pastor Peter gave from, you know, about how Jesus talks about sort of God is like a mother hen. And I'm wondering, like, is that all we have? You know, how can we, how can we take the metaphors... How can we take sort of our scriptural, like, nerdy word study and put these together in a way that helps us think about a more fuller image of, of God? Well, certainly. Um, and um, one of the things I'd say is that there is kind of, I love um, categories and typing and uh, being able to kind of take um, the the, word, the, the nerdy word study um, <laughs> and making it applicable. And so as I was thinking about this, um, you know, uh, theologians describe God, uh, the nature of God, with kind of three w words, um, and of course, alliteration is beautiful. Um, so relational, righteous, and ruler. 
You can find, uh, I'm happy to give you scripture pieces for each one of these um, if you're curious. Um, when we define uh, God as relational, um, it's that quality of God that loves and cares for us on a personal level, individual, one-on-one, right? It's that uh, quiet time, prayer and study where we feel God's presence. Uh, when we think about God as righteous, um, this is the quality and nature of God, that God is perfectly holy and just, that God always does the right thing. God demands that we also live holy lives according to God's laws, um, righteous. And then when we think about God as ruler, um, God is ruler because God is all powerful and that God makes up the laws that governs us, uh, that rule our lives. God created all. Um, and so within these three words, we have a full scriptural definition of who God is. Um, and I found it interesting that uh, both you and I had early images that were primarily around that ruler and righteous, you know, that God sets the rules and expects us to tow it and there's no help or support. You better figure it out, sink or swim. Now, um, I think it's always helpful to kind of do the kind of two out of three ain't bad, uh, right? So if we do the two out of three ain't bad, um, so what if uh, God is uh, righteous and a ruler, but not relational? Then we get God expects us to be perfect, but doesn't show us the way or teach us, doesn't send Jesus to save us. I mean, could you imagine that there are people out in the world who think that way, right. um, and they have no idea that the creator of all has any <laughs> compassion for us uh, to come to know faith. Uh, now, if we play two out of three ain't bad with righteous, right? So you've got a relational God who's a ruler, um, but there's no righteous, no holiness to God. Well, in that, well, there would be no holy standards by which to live. God might be cruel and unjust in God's dealing with us because there's no expectation of behavior. I have to say, after 20 years of ministry, there truly are people who are like this in the world, who are convinced um, that, that God just is capricious, right? Um, those who think that um, Hurricane Harvey was an act of God, right? What, what does that reveal about God's nature? And if we continue the two out of three ain't bad um, idea, um, what if we have um, a God who's um, uh, relational and righteous, uh, but not a ruler? Then uh, that's a God that loves us, is connected to us, but unable to help us. That powerless to change the circumstances. I mean, think about um, that, right? I mean, how often do we come to know faith because God saves us, God rescues us, whether it's from a medical emergency or whether it's from a difficult relationship, um, God is there to change our circumstances. And so I hope these three words are kind of a helpful piece as we walk through uh, what it means for, um, uh, for God to be relational, righteous, and ruler. Um, I wonder, Josh, I think Wesleyanism um, probably does really well at some of those and maybe not so well at others. And this might be a trick question, but which one do you think we do well? <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I think Methodists and uh, folks who follow Wesley's, you know, sort of understanding of grace and God as God presents God's self in the scriptures would really lean into the relational aspect of God. Um, you know, God does care, wants to be a part of your life. Uh, God is that friend you can pray to at 3 a.m. when it goes sideways. Um, I think we do that really well. And I think at times we've struggled with the other ones. Uh, we struggle with what does it mean for God to be in, in charge of it all. And we have a hard time 
talking about that and articulating it, we have a hard time living into that, trusting that God is there. That's right. Um, I wonder, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, think I think you're right. I like re- the relational idea because um, Wesley uh, really uh, believes that God's grace is available for all. Uh, that provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace is a very personal thing. Uh, God saves us, rescues right. us. But I think these days we're struggling with that righteousness uh, idea of God, right? Uh, culture continues to change. Uh, we continue to wonder, you know, what is good and what is not good, what is right and what is holy. I think scripture tells us um, but I think that's a place where, where Methodists are really having a, a hard time agreeing um, what that means uh, for all of us. Um, so, so let's pull it home. All right. uh, this is a, a great thought experiment, but um, tell me a little bit about how you think this affects um, you know, our, our celebration of Mother's Day and our discipleship itself. Yeah, you know, for me, as I think about this, I want to compare and contrast it maybe with father language. Um, as that's predominantly how Jesus addresses God. So I think when we think about God as Father, I think that's helpful, and I think it's not. Um, You know, if we had a pretty bad dad, that can bring up a lot of wounds, a lot of baggage. But in the same way, I think that can be really healing, right? Maybe God is the dad that we all need and deserve. I think in the same way, thinking about God as mother is helpful. And I think it's also not helpful, right? In the same way that if we had a really bad mom thinking about God, you're like, well, I don't want my God to be like my mom. My mom was not good. Uh, In the same thought, though, if we view God as the mom that we all need and deserve, I think there's healing power in that. And I think there's scriptural evidence that there are sort of aspects of the feminine and the masculine wrapped up in God, that God is all of that. And for me, this has a really big sort of application here at Chapelwood in the fact that it was so easy for you and I to sort of see our image in God. Um, I think this matters to all of our little girls in the congregation, that if we uh, abandon the idea that there's no feminine characteristics in God, then all of the women, half of the world's population, um, will struggle to find the image that they're crafted in, in the divine. And so for me, that's the good news, right? I have a daughter. I hope that she can relate to God in the way that uh, everyone else has the opportunity to relate to God. And so for me, that's powerful. I think so too. I have a a 14-year-old daughter as well, and I think that's an important part. I think for me, um, you know, when I think about um, mothers on Mother's Day, um, and I think about those three qualities that we ascribe to God's nature, uh, relational, uh, righteous and ruler, um, you, you know, tongue in cheek, but yet very serious. All the mothers in my life, thinking about grandmothers, those who have mentored and nurtured me, uh, were relational. I mean, just very close and connected. I see that in uh, my wife's uh, love and care for my daughter. Um, and also, let's be honest, uh, Cam Herano's, um the women in our family, they are quite the rulers. <laughs> <laughs> in charge, okay, don't laugh all at once. Um, and um, they're often the folk um, in, in kind of our family that, that hold us to a good uh, standard, uh, hold us to uh, what, what's holy and righteous, and that means a lot. Um, I also think it's you know, fascinating that uh, we want so badly uh, to say that Eve is the helper. Um, you know, when I think about my grandmother uh, on Mother's Day, she's uh, passed, is my dad's mom, 
um, that uh, with five kids, she uh, was divorced from my grandfather, um, moved from the good side of town to the projects, uh, raised five children uh, by herself on a waitress's salary. Uh, when I think about her, she was every part of relational, every part of righteous, and every part of a ruler. Um, that kind of who I am um, means a lot by the way that uh, my grandmother took charge and did her duty uh, and raised uh, her children. Um, and, and so on this Mother's Day, right, I, I want to encourage you, if you are stuck in a narrow view of God, that God is far off, that he's kind of like the cosmic Santa Claus, making a list, checking it twice, going to figure out who's sinned, right? <laughs> um, that maybe there's a fuller idea of God for you. Um, because sometimes when we pigeonhole God's nature, um, that it's uh, some uh, old, old man off in the middle of nowhere, um, that that also pigeonholes uh, our uh, willingness to believe that God can transform us. And so we want you to have a biblical view of God, a, a wide view of God, a, God a, a view of God as relational, righteous, ruler, a, a, um, a view of God that can be as big as your need for transformation, because certainly God is in the business of transforming us. Um, I want to thank um, Pastor Josh for inviting me to do something I've never done before, um, and uh, you know, to say together uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen.